0: I just simply want to preach a message tonight uh, entitled, How to Live in This Wicked World. How how do we live in this wicked world? And I think we can get some principles uh, from the book of Titus. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the day that you've given us, Lord. Thank you for the blessings that you give us each and every day. Lord, thank you for the ability just to meet together tonight in this place just to worship you and open your word and study your word tonight. Lord, we thank you for uh, the opportunity. And Lord, I pray that as we open your word, Lord, that uh, we would open our hearts and minds to what you'll have for us. Lord, I pray that you'd help me, Lord. I can't preach your precious word upon my own strength. So I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that I'd say only what you'd have me to say that would be honoring and glorifying to you. Thank you again for our friends. Thank you for allowing us to be here in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you Maybe seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. As we look at this portion of Scripture, as I said, we know them as the pastoral epistles, but I tell you, as 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for what? For doctrine. That's what's right. For reproof, that's what's wrong. For correction, that's how we get things right. And for instructions in righteousness, and that's how we keep things right. Why does he he say all those things? That the man of God may be perfect or or mature or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. So he gives us the scripture for us, to help us. And I like the way God does it because he gives us the instructions. He shows us how we are to do things. He gives us, he shows us what's right and what's wrong. And and, and he shows us how to get it right if we are wrong. And I, I love that so much about the principles that God gives us in his word. But in verse number five tonight, you see that We learned that Paul and Titus here worked together on this island of Crete. Now, uh, they were spreading the gospel and establishing churches, but Paul had to leave and Titus stayed and, and, and worked among the congregations there, worked among the people there. Since Titus was left behind to do a really difficult work, Paul wanted to encourage him, he wanted to instruct him, he wanted to help him in this endeavor, and so he did so with this letter. Now Paul here, I want you to notice the place. Now here we see in verse 5, he said, for this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou should have set in order the things that are wanting, and ordained elders in every city, as I appointed thee. Now this island on Crete was, was about 150 miles long, and its width at this widest point was about 35 miles wide and about seven and a half miles at its narrowest point. And Crete, by other readings and everything, it was known as the island of a hundred cities. Now, I don't know exactly how many cities it was, but that tells me it had quite a few cities in it. And, and, and when you look at this, what Paul had told Titus in verse 5, he said, ordain elders in every city. Imagine if this place just only had half of what, of if it only had half, 50 cities. Titus had an incredible work to do. And when you look at this place, we realize that every culture has its issues. Every culture down through the ages, and even in this country that we live, each culture has some different issues, different things that they deal with you don't You don't necessarily deal with the same things down here in Texas as they do up in Montana or north Dakota there's a different kind of people a different culture the way they live and especially up in the Northeast is anybody from the Northeast okay good that, that, that way when I make jokes about them I don't, I don't, nobody getting fit no the, the people are different all over the country cultures are different and, and you'll notice here that he, he's telling Titus listen set in order the things that are wanting and that word wanting means lacking so Things were going on there that was happening that they shouldn't be. And so Titus is going in, and he's trying to set some things straight here, uh, set things in order that were lacking. So you see the place, but I want you to notice the people of this island. Okay, Look down in verse 10, if you would. The Bible says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers especially they of the circumcision, circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. Now, I'm not the brightest guy in the world but I know in verse number 12 when he called them liars, evil beast and slow bellies, that wasn't a good thing. I know that just that just wasn't a good thing. But when you look in verse 10, which is unfortunate, it appears some of the greatest influences in this, this isle, in, in on Cree, was the religious people. And when I say religious people, those are the people that tried to keep the law and do things, right? And and, and so he calls them here, these people were unruly. They were vain talkers or empty talkers. They didn't say a whole lot that was worth anything. They were deceivers. And he says, they of the circumcision, which which means practicing Jews. So you see the people here and what they were doing, what they were trying to do is money was also a big motivation for these people. A big motivation. I tell you, That's, I mean, you see that today. People are after money. They're after things, material things. They want things. Well, it was the same kind of a thing back And And so you see the people, kind of the people that were there, but I want you to notice the positions here are what I say when I say positions of reputation. What, what, what were they known as? And we know what liars are in verse 12. Everybody has experienced a liar at one point or another. We all know what those are. But then you see evil beasts. Why did he say evil beast? And what that means is simply this. They were living like animals. They didn't have any morality. There was a bunch of immorality going on. They didn't have any morals. They were undisciplined. They did as they wanted to. They Just like in the book of, uh, of Judges, they did which was right in their own eyes. What felt good is what they did. And, and you see the kind of people that were there. And then he uses this phrase, slow bellies. And, and what that phrase means, he, he says, is a lazy glutton. And we re- we correlate the a glutton to food, but what this is meaning is it's an overindulgence on anything. The, the, these folks they overindulge themselves on many different sinful things, and so that's why he's calling them that. And when you realize the problem was difficult because of the character of these folks. They had a bad character, even even among their own prophets. Look at verse 12 again. He says, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own. You know, it's it's kind of bad when one of your own calls you this. I mean, you know, it, it really is. Why that it was so important... For Titus to work in the congregations there, to work with the people there, to no appoint pastors. Because if it was left to themselves, you can imagine the chaos and the error that was going to go on there. And so in this, it, it was even to the point of that the Romans here made a verb uh, to characterize the Christians or the Greeks, I'm sorry, they, they actually formed a verb to creatize, which means to lie and to cheat. So you see the character of the people that Titus is dealing with. But Paul said this, he said, listen, he said the Christians are liars and glee, cheats and gluttons, but with one of the most, uh, most worst reputations of any group in the Roman Empire. He didn't tell Titus to go find somebody else to work work with. What did he say? He told Titus, he says, I know how bad they are. Go out and change them by the power of Christ. That's how you're going to change anybody. That's how you're going to change any any influence of any people is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you're going to do it. And, And I bring this up because when you look at verse 12, sadly, Verse 12 applies to our culture today. It really does. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. just the page back. Right? You're right there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible tells us here, in verse number 1, it says this, Know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such terms. Well, are we there today? Absolutely, we're there. He says "In in the last day. We're there. We see all of those things going on in today's time. And I tell you, when you look out at it and you think about it, it gives us a bleak picture. But can I give you a little bit of encouragement anyway? In Psalm 27 and verse 1, David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? John chapter 16 and verse number 33 says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. John chapter 4 and verse 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so Paul is going here, and, and we know that Jesus Christ has overcome the word. He told us that we're going to experience this tribulation. We're going to experience things in this world. And he told us that the world was going to get back. He told us these things are going to happen, and these things are coming to pass. So how are you and I to live in this day? How are you and I to be an influence for Christ? How are you and I to spread the gospel? And I think in today's time, we can kind of look at what's in the book of Titus, and it will tell us how we can live and be the influence that God wants us to be in this wicked world. It doesn't matter what what year that you are in, what uh, dispensation, if you will. God always has a remnant. And God always shows us, he helps us uh, to live in the day that we are in. And so I think we can take some of this from Titus and apply it to our lives. But Paul is describing all of these people. And boy, we made these folks look bad, didn't we? I mean, well, their own prophets said they were bad. Uh, I mean, these people had bad characters. But Paul gives Titus a reminder. Turn to chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Titus. Paul gives Titus a reminder. He gives us a reminder. In verse number 3, look at what He says, (laughs) He says, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts or many lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You see, at the first he says, for we. Paul is including himself in this. And I tell you, for you and I, remembering where we once were shows us that the fallen nature is not far from us. And we need the constant reminding to stay where we should be with it, where where we should be in the Lord. Because Paul says, listen, don't think that these wild creatures or these wild uh, folks with bad character and all these things can't be saved. Don't think that they can't because we, are living proof of God's power to save anybody. See, he says, we were also once foolish, disobedient, and deceived. Remembering this, this work of God in our lives builds up four things in us. And you think back when God saved you, and I pray that everybody's saved here tonight, and God's work in you. God's word saving you. Think about, it. think back with me when you got saved. It's always a good time to think back. I'm telling you, I was sitting in Salisbury, North Carolina, under an old brush arbor. My wife had invited me, invited me to the church. They were having a meeting out back, and I tell you, there was probably 250 people there. It was a bigger church, but that preacher was preaching right. Like, because I knew I was lost and going out. And I can remember to this day what he preached about. He treats out of John 3.16, the facts of life. And boy, when he gave that invitation, I didn't wait. I didn't wait around. The Holy Spirit was tugging and pulling on me, and I went down and I got saved. And I tell you, as you remember how God did that work in you, it'll build four things in you. Number one, it it will build gratitude or thankfulness for how God changed us, for how God worked in our life, where he took us from and where we're at now. It builds gratitude in us. Secondly, it builds humility in us when we remember God's work in our life as we see that it was his work that changed us.
1: It, it wasn't
0: anything that we did. All we did was place faith in him. And then God changed our hearts. And I know he changes inside. And, and it works on the outside. But I tell you. It, it builds humility in us. Thirdly. It builds kindness. In us. How does it do that? Because we can think about others that are in the place that we were in. To be kind to them, knowing that we were once at that place. (laughs) Fourthly, it builds faith that God can change those who are still lost in, in that place. I tell you, if God can save me, save anybody. You look at the Apostle Paul who was giving Titus a reminder that we once were disobedient. We once were those things. And you studied the life of Paul, what he did before God saved him. How he threw Christians in jail, handed Christians down. And and God came into his heart and saved him. And I tell you, what's going to change these folks is what changed you and I. What's going to change people today is what saved us, what changed us. Look back at verse 11 of chapter 2. The Bible says, For the grace of God that (laughs) bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now look down in chapter 3, if you will. Look in verse 4. Remember after he said in verse 3, listen, remember where he once were. God can save these people. You've got to remember where you were at. Look at verse 4. He said, but after that, the kindness and love of God God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration, renewing the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And in word hope, you've got to understand the word hope when the Bible was written, it wasn't written with a question mark, it was written with an explanation point. Right? Our blessed hope is the returning of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to hope He's going to return. I know He's going to return. The Bible tells me it is. So it's an expectation when you see that word and, and And when you look at the Apostle Paul and what he wrote to Titus, and he said, listen, remember where you once were. These folks that were so bad, these folks that you are called to, to minister to to help, remember that the way they're going to get saved is the way you got saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you think about this, we see the reputations of the people of free. But you realize today that you and I as Christians have testimonies. This church has a testimony. And many times the unsaved will watch what the Christian does and how he responds to things. Right? He'll watch you. He may not listen to what you say, they watch what you do. right? I was preaching in Mississippi at a new church, and many of our meetings are by word of mouth. If I go to a pastor, if I go to a church, and I preach for a pastor, the pastor may say, hey, I know this other pastor, you got a day off, and, or you got an open slot, and, you go, and that's the kind of way this works. And so I go to this church in Mississippi, I've never met this pastor before, and face to face, but I talk to him. And in fact, he was at that point one of my college professors. But I, I had never met him face to face. And he was one of these old school pastors. Uh, he, was, he was old school. And so he <laughs> invited me up and, and I was sitting up getting ready to, to preach and, and write. And they were singing music and right before I was getting ready to preach, he leaned over. And he asked me this question. And it was a very traumatic question to me. He said, now, after you read your text, do I need to close my Bible? And then he went back over and he sat back down. Why, why do you ask me that question? All this is running through my mind, right? I'm getting ready to preach. I'm getting ready to stand up and bring the word of God. And he asked me this question. So I start sweating bullets. I'm like, what in the world? I'm not going to show my body. where I'm preaching from. And then he sat over there and they sang another song and he saw that I was squirming and so he came back over. And he says, you know, he said, I, every preacher that comes through here, I ask that many questions. I said, oh really? I said, well, I'm, I'm glad to know that. He said, because I get so many preachers up here that'll read one scripture close their Bible and tell about stories. He said, I don't want to hear from you, I want to hear from what God says. I said, Well, amen to that. And I started thinking a little bit. And I said, you know, that kind of applies to us as Christians, right? Because many, many people, many unsaved people, they may not listen to what we <coughs> say. But boy, they'll watch how we live. So when somebody knows you're a Christian, you're saved, and you go out into the world, do you leave your Bible open for them to read, or do you shut you And live your own way. That's right. And that's what, what we're looking at here, is, is you and I, we must make a difference. God's called us to make a difference. And when you look at the book of Titus, it shows us how we can live a life that is pleasing to the Lord that makes an impact in the world that we live. See, when we think about this, Paul here, he makes a statement in chapter one. Turn back to chapter one and In verse number 16. What does he say? He says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny it. Being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work we work. He says, They profess they know it, but the work in the works they deny. And so, what are you I are you and I to take away from this is, is that you and I need to realize is that you cannot separate from what, what you believe from who you are. They're woven together. The book of Titus shows us with uh, what we believe and how we behave, have got to go together. It's like two railroad tracks. You got two going down there. You take one of them away, that train ain't running on that track. (laughs) It's not. And so that's what Titus is telling us, listen, that, that we have to live out what we say. We have to live out in this wicked world what we say. It, it's maybe like a, a, a break together. Now, you know, listen, I, I had four dollars. So I got four dollars. I was a professional tea party guy. I had so many tea parties, I knew, did a little pinky thing. I was all set up. And, and I played with Barbies and all that stuff, I'll admit that. I do. I love my girls. They took all my hair away from me, but you know. I <laughs> know. But we were playing one day, and I think like my, my, one of my daughters came up, and and my wife was gone or something, and she says, "Can you braid my hair?" I'm like, "Braid your hair." <laughs> I don't have any hair. I don't know how to do anything with hair. She said, "Well, mom's not here." I said, well, if you'll tell me how to do it, I'll, I'll do what I can. And she says, yeah. So she, she sits down and she's like, all right, Dave, you've got to put it in three braids, and you've got to cross here and cross here cross here and cross, cross here. Well, when I got done, it was a hot mess, as they called it. <laughs> it, it didn't look very good. But I, I put that little thing on there that holds it together, what you call them, the ponytail holders, Put it on there, and that brain was strong. It didn't look very good, but it was strong. And when you think about you and I in this life today, right? Our doctrine or our teaching or the Bible, what we get our doctrine from, how we behave, what we believe, and how we behave have got to complement one another. And I put in there in that three core that the doctrine, the behavior, and also what we say, right? Because words hurt. They can hurt. And you and I as Christians, when we live out what the doctrine of the Bible tells us, when we live out our doctrine in our life, and it all come together as one, it makes you a stronger Christian, right? We put that brain together and it's so much stronger. And that's what Titus is coming to here. That's what Paul is telling Tightness here is we have got to get a daily renewal of our minds by the Holy Spirit so that we can develop the life and live out up before others the way God wants us to live and make an influence. So here, as we look at these things, we see the purpose of this book is how to live in this in an ungodly society or a wicked society. And so how do you live? The way you refute this error is going on is you exalt truth and sound doctrine. Right? And we know sound doctrine is the word of God. That's where we get This should be our rule for all faith and practice. It's the word of God. And as we look at this, we'll see, as we look here, it, At this, I want you to notice with me, first of all, look down in verse 9 again of chapter 1. The important thing that we're going to see here is sound doctrine. Titus is talking about sound doctrine. Look at verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he had been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. So what is he saying here? He's saying here a Christian will use the solid foundation built on the word of God, on sound doctrine, to exhort those that are are on the right track. And he'll also use it to convince the gainsayers or those who contradict. Now, I don't know about you, but it, it doesn't really matter what we say. I've had some discussions with other folks that didn't agree with some of the things that I believe. Right, and, and, and so I don't argue anymore. It's the, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God says. And so when you run into that, and, and especially in today's time, I'm sure it's going to happen more and more with folks. If we try to go out and spread the gospel and tell others about Christ, there's going to be differences there. But it won't matter what we say. It matters what God says. And that's that's what Paul is telling Titus. Listen, when you're dealing with these folks, you deal with them on the sound doctrine, the word of God. That's what's going to change them. That's what's going to influence them. And we need to stand on that foundation of the word of God. That's how we live in today's time. Too many times it's, it's what I think or what you think or our opinion. When in essence it really doesn't matter. Told them what God says. And so we need to stand on the word of God in this world. Secondly, look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Not only are we to speak sound doctrine, but look. He says, but speak now the things which become sound doctrine. Now, what does that mean? This, This has the idea, and it has to do with right living, not just right thinking. And the Bible tells us how we are to live. God just doesn't say go out in the world live any way you want to. He gives us principles. He gives us things that we, you and I need to live in this world. Psalms 37 verse 4 and 5 says delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. And most of us are familiar with Proverbs 3 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. And what's he going to do? He's going to direct your paths. But many (laughs) times we stop at verse 6. But have you read verse 7? He says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from me. So he's telling us, listen, you, you can't have direct thy path if you don't have trust in the Lord. You can't have the, the direct the path if you don't trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not into thine own understanding. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He tells us, let our light so shine. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, says this, and following, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all mouth. And be ye kind. Of one another, <coughs> tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven. Them. So we are to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. That's what the Bible says. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 says, This that ye may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. First Peter chapter 1 says this, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Psalms chapter 150 and verse 6, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Those are just a few things. Those are just a few admonitions. Those are just a few things that God tells us. Now we don't always be, like to be told how to live. But I don't know about you, I need to be told how to live, so I don't want to mess up. And God tells us, he gives us these things. So how we live in the world that we live in today, we are to speak sound doctrine, then we are to live sound doctrine. We are to live out what God tells us in his word, but then also pattern sound doctrine. Look at verse 7 of chapter 2. The Bible says, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. Now that word uncorruptness means purity. The word gravity means honesty. And the word sincerity, that's just be genuine. And I tell you, you don't see a whole lot of that stuff going on today. Not like it used to be years ago. People are not like they used to be. But he says in all these things, showing a pattern of good works. Titus had to be more than a teacher. He had to live out, he had to be an example of what God was telling him. His guidance to others cannot be taken seriously if he himself was not walking after the Lord. So he was doing, he wasn't just talking, he was. And that's what Paul is trying to tell him. We need to pattern stuff. We need to live out what God had shown before this world. But not only that, we also need to adorn sound doctrine. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, not purloining or stealing, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior and all. So what does he say in here? This word adorn literally means to take precious jewels and arrange them so as to show their true beauty. So in one sense, you think about this, the gospel doesn't need any adornment. But at the same time, we can show the beauty of the gospel by the way we live. We often think we need better words to adorn the gospel. And I tell you, we need to tell others. We need to tell others about Christ and give them the gospel. That's There's no doubt about that. And better words are fine. But many times. We need better words. We need to live out what God tells us to do. And you look at the context of the verse. Look at verse 9. It says exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters. And to please them well in all things. Not answering again. In the context of the verses that we see here, is talking about masters and slaves. And he's saying, listen, even slaves can adorn the doctrine of God. Even slaves can show forth the gospel. Even slaves can influence a master. Even one in a lower, disadvantaged station in life has the potential to beautify God's truth by the way they live. That's, that's how we see the doctrine of God may be adorned. It, it is adorned when, it, when its effects on life and character are expressed in conduct. And so we are to live out this sound doctrine. We are to get it from Word, and then we are to live it in the world. That's what Paul is telling Times. And, and then at, at this, as we live out this word, this, these, uh, this sound doctrine. Then in one, two, uh, five verses, you'll see the pattern of good works, zealous of good works, maintain good works, and maintain good works in all through the chapters here. He talks about how we are to do good works, but good works doesn't, it's not, we don't do good works to get saved, we do good works because we are saved. Good works does not say. You cannot do enough to get to heaven. I don't care how many good works you do. The only thing that's going to get you to heaven is the, the Lord Jesus Christ coming into your heart and saving you. That's the only way you can get to heaven. But but the Bible says here that in, in that if you are saved, you're going to have good works. You're going to do good works. And when you pattern, when you adore the sound doctrine before this world, before the world we live in, you'll have good works. you good works. James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace are we saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. lest any Amen. You can't do anything you Just have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you do. So in all of this, and I'll wrap it up into this. Go back to verse 9. How are we to live in this wicked world? How are we to live our lives before others? How can we be an influence for Christ? How can we spread His word? Not only by our words, but the way we live. How are we to do that in this time? Verse nine: Holding fast the faithful word, holding fast the faithful word, as he had been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and to convince the gamesayers. How are we to live in this world? We are to hold fast to the faithful word. We're to hold fast to the scriptures. We're to hold fast to what God tells us to. Do. We're to hold fast. Because He is what's going to get us through. See, we have to. What, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. The greatest thing you can do to build your faith is to be in the scriptures. And so in our lives, how are we to live out in this world? What are we to do in this world? Hold fast the faithful word. To be an influence. To show forth sound doctrine in this world. That you have to be in. That's the key. If you're not in the Word of God. It's not enough just to come on Sundays and Wednesdays and, and special meetings or whatever. But it's an everyday thing. It's an everyday thing. God tells us how we can be an influence in this world. We've got to hold fast in <coughs>